looking for Barlow. Here's Tolkien. Straight at Joe Willis, who makes the save. Joe says no three times, and Nashville SC earns a draw at New York Red Bulls, despite failing to muster a shot on target, thanks to Apple TV and our good friend Tony Husband for the sound, Moon Taxi for the intro music. This is Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm five-year Nashville SC radio veteran, alum, I guess, West Bowling. And I'm Tim Sullivan, the proprietor owner operator uh whatever the non-alum i guess current student <laughs> of, at clubcountryusa.com in life we're always students we're always learning but you do a lot more teaching than learning especially on this <laughs> show of course tim how are you how was the weekend uh very good i had a five-year-old's birthday party or well she was four when the birthday party happened she is five at time of recording she turned five today so i have been very exhausted um hurting uh, you know, um, sub elementary school age children all weekend was very stressful. I mean, but as, it was very rewarding. Too. That's wonderful to hear. And as tiring as it, I'm sure, is to face New York Red Bulls press as a player, I guess you got the the human, no, uh, the non so much, so much harder that. to be a parent. So much harder, <laughs> especially when you're you're facing the press from eleven five year olds or thereabouts. <laughs> uh, I'm sure not uh, not easy at all. In terms of the match itself, scoreless draw between Nashville and Red Bulls. And while neither of us came out and said it was going to be a scoreless draw, it was the kind of match I think that we both expected that most probably expected right Mm -hmm. ugly choppy ultimately if you served this result up on a plate at ml rose you wouldn't kick it off your plate you'd eat it and you'd say that meal was fine yeah you probably wouldn't get this on your plate at ml rose because it's tough Um, (laughs) but certainly in in terms of the uh in in terms of the the end result being a point um historically red bull arena is really tough to play in um they get a lot of results there opposing teams don't historically get a ton of results at red bull arena uh yeah you take this one away running for sure 270 minutes now for nashville against red bulls one goal scored and it was from a free kick so they've yet to score from the run of play against that red bulls press and they face some obstacles tim of course heading into this one no randall who picked up a knock in training and uh didn't go uh, didn't make the trip. Neither did Anibal Godoy after injuring, injuring his shoulder in the NYCFC game. Of course, Hani Mukhtar didn't start, but is working his way back in, came on in the second half. This was an early test of the team's depth. I would contend Nashville didn't earn an A grade. They didn't ace the test. They didn't win. I would say they passed the test with mm-hmm. three guys down that were extremely important pieces, or at least two, two and a half down, I guess, since Hani played a half. I think they did what they needed to do. Yeah, and again, if you go to Red Bull Arena and get a result, you're you're typically not very upset about it. If you do it with the um, circumstances that Nashville SC had to deal with in this game, and um, you know circumstances that probably won't recur very frequently this year, knock on wood, and some of them did a few times last year, but mm-hmm. um, you're even happier. Already knocking over here. I want guys to to certainly be healthy. In the early shout today, we'll bring you the gold nuggets from a borderline historic attacking performance, a historic futility, uh, that is, <laughs> and a preview of the Montreal match as well. In the mailbag, some of you wanted to ask whether NSC has a depth problem. Certainly the the underbelly of, of that lineup was exposed just a little bit with the absence of Godoy and Leal with Hani not starting. Also, who are the candidates for NSC's Hustle Award, that one coming from our good friend Mike Meredith. And are we seeing any indica- indications yet of the kind of season the club will have? I know all of you, including Tim, are saying 
No, small sample size. But what can we learn about this club's identity one seventeenth of the way through the season <laughs> that we can apply to what it needs to do moving forward to have success? We'll get into that. And then outside in, the best two-game expansion start in MLS history. Is it a fluke? Or is St. Louis City SC for real? And who are our favorite teams to follow on Apple TV? All kinds of great conversations to have. But first, we're going to start with a mailbag question because it relates to our favorite topic on this show besides small sample sizes. And that is Finn, uh, who closes. Who is definitely our favorite topic on this show. (laughs) Finn is one of our favorite. Finn used to work with my wife, by the way, at their, both their former employers, random story there. Uh, We go, we go, we do not go way back. We've never, we've met like once, I think, but I guess he goes back with my wife. Um, Finn says, whose fans had the better week? Arsenal with the last gas stunner or Liverpool with the seven nil decimation of rival Manchester United. And uh, we're putting this in this portion of the show because he follows up and says, I know it's Premier League and not MLS, but number one, I know Wes will take any excuse to talk about Arsenal. That's correct. And number two, he ate at ML Rose last week and there's a smiley face there. So Finn, thank you for eating at ML Rose and supporting our sponsor. We know you'd probably do that even if you'd never heard of us because it's just a good place. Well, I know who had the best week, Tim. It wasn't Arsenal. It wasn't Liverpool. It was West Ham supporters who want to see the Hammers win the championship next year. <laughs> yeah, well, they're certainly on pace to do that more than they are on pace to win the Premier League ever. So, hey, uh, find your level and, and win that level. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I will believe in Arsenal title when I see it. I'm not one of these that's going to ride the highs so right, high. Nick Hornby, relax. Uh, yeah, it is rising to a fever pitch. Uh, if you will. (laughs) Um, But uh, what a special comeback against Bournemouth. It was awesome to have that euphoria. It took me back to some special USL days for Nashville SC too, with some stoppage time winners and equalizers that, uh, man, those memories are the best part really. And and that's where Mel Rose comes in to take it back to the reason for, again, reading Finn's mailbag question here um, is that it's just a special place to go. And the one thing I was wishing Tim, as I watched, Reese Nelson pound one in the back of the net from 19 yards out, a miraculous strike, was I wish I was with people watching this. I was watching at home. The supporters group and uh, the restaurant that that sponsors them that is not in Melrose was not open. In Melrose is available for your for your special Nashville SC moments. And that's even better than looking at your team at the top of the table is looking at your friends across the booth and saying, that was awesome. Yeah, I guess that's one good thing about uh... MLS's schedule being what it is, there are no like 6 a.m. games in Major League Soccer. And Thank you, goodness. Can, uh, you can guarantee without having to beg that ML Rose will be available for pretty much all uh, post and pregame festivities if that's uh, what you would like to do. And, and certainly we would love to see you there. And we do have confirmation, by the way, with the Apple TV stuff, the Apple cart turnover, if you will, of broadcast rights. ML Rose does show matches, so you can go and you can watch Nashville SC there. They've confirmed that. Harrison Hall also on Twitter today saying, huge shout out to the servers at the ML Rose Charlotte location, best and most important neighborhood in Nashville, who changed the TV specifically for his table so they could watch the boys in gold. So in case you're wondering, should I go there for road matches? Yes, you should. You absolutely should. Uh, and Finn will take your recommendation as well. And thanks for giving me a chance to talk about Arsenal as we move now into <laughs> the early shout. And New York Red Bulls remain the only Eastern Conference team, Tim, that Nashville's played more than once and failed to beat. The other East team they've never beaten is Charlotte. I'm waiting for you to say small sample size here because, you know, it's yeah, one game. Yeah, it was um, a very small sample size. But we'll, we'll bring the gold nuggets now from that. Man, that game was annoying, though, too, though. Yeah, uh, Charlie, they had they had like one XG and it was a 4-1 win. <sighs> totally fluky, weird counterattacks. There was like basically an empty netter at the end. Uh, it was yeah, that was not 
Not a great day. This one somewhat better at scoreless draw against Red Bulls, but it was a historically quiet attacking performance. The third lowest XG in a match in NSC history, just 0.3 expected goals. That'll happen when you don't put a shot on frame and that futility only exceeded by last year's 2-0 loss at Dallas and the 2020 scoreless draw at New, Eng- New England that saw Derek Jones start at striker. Uh, so that and was Charlie and Charlie Davies. Never forget about it. <laughs> he never forgot about it. And I, that was the first game I ever did is play by play at the MLS level. I, John Freeman was out of town. I was filling in. And as soon as I heard the lineup, I thought, well, I'm not getting my first goal in MLS. That's for sure. <laughs> sure didn't, but neither did New England. Um, the, I even, I struggled to even say listless performance because against Red Bulls, you're just not going to do much. Typically mm-hmm. the performance that happened or the, or the attacking that didn't really happen. Do you see it as a as a reason for concern, or is it just a product of what the Red Bulls do to you, plus the lack of Hani and Randall in the eleven? Yeah, I mean, you'd obviously love the attack to be better. That's uh, a platitude, essentially, at this point. <laughs> um, especially once Hani Mukhtar came on, um, it, it didn't improve as as much as you would like. He was not the game changer that turned from a listless first half into a suddenly productive second half. Although. Um, Gary Smith did complain that his his beautiful assist to Alex Mwil should not have drawn an offside flag. In case you've never heard, in case you've never heard Gary Smith talk a talk a little bit of a big game about about an officiating (laughs) decision, but I mean, at the end of the day, it really is it's soccer. It's a it's a one game sample size, um, and it's against an opponent that is unlike any other in the league. Um, Red Bulls are going to do this to a lot of teams that are probably better in attack than Nashville is too. It's just what they do. Um, I wouldn't draw too many conclusions from it, just like I wouldn't draw too many conclusions from what looked like an extremely productive attacking day against New York City FC. It is early enough in the season that we don't really know what this team is going to be I would say I wouldn't worry too much that you're going to see a whole lot of uh, three shot, (laughs) zero uh, shot on goal uh, performances though. I would I would assume that's the case, although we'll see it again at some point this year, because when Gary Smith needs a scoreless draw, Gary Smith gets a scoreless draw. We know this about he him. He usually goes and tries to nick one on a set piece, at least. Though. He does, of the counterattack occasionally and all that. Is there anything, though, tactically you would have done differently, recognizing that personnel was certainly limited for this game? Not really. Um, I think a lot of what Nashville SC did is is the way that you make sure you don't get beaten by Red Bulls. You just mentioned Gary Smith knows how to play for a scoreless draw, and um, I don't think they were playing for it necessarily on Saturday night, but certainly their tactical approach was uh, we're much more interested in that than we are losing to nothing um, like last time we went to the Red Bull Arena. So um, I actually thought it was it was what probably what I would do if you don't have a 90 minute fit honey Mukhtar go in there and have Alex Mueil go muck things up and, and play Red Bull ball against Red Bull and see what you can do and, and try to get one on a set piece, try and get one on the counter. Nashville had opportunities in each of those phases. And, and, and sometimes it doesn't work out again, small sample sizes and uh, you, you move on and you move on to the next one. Yeah. Not a coincidence that Gary Smith started three former Red Bulls against the Red Bulls. I think mm-hmm. he, he needed guys who certainly understood how that, how that play goes. And, and I'll, I'll offer a clarification to my previous remarks. And essentially it's what you just offered up that when Gary Smith needs at minimum a scoreless draw, he knows how to get it. I'm <laughs> not suggesting, and he's never once said in all these private calls that, that we've had with him before broadcast, he's never said like, all right, we're kind of trying to buckle down and, and, you know, have a scoreless draw. Let's get one point. That sounds great. He has said after those matches, sometimes it's a good result. And that's what, that's what he said yeah. against Red Bulls. And I would certainly agree with that. The other gold nugget, 
No shots on target for Nashville for just the third time in club history, but Nashville also had re- held Red Bulls to single-digit shots, only three on frame, only one really, really good chance, and a second pretty decent one. Um, and so that means the boys in gold have the best defense in MLS after two matches if you go by uh, expected goals against per 90, tied with Philadelphia for that metric, one of just five teams that has played two matches and remains unscored upon in MLS. Um, one more stat for you. The third fewest shots allowed per 90. So Nashville's defense picking up where it left off. What's been the driving force in your opinion, Tim, behind that early success? Yeah. Friendship with Dave Romney ended. Jack Mayer is my new best friend right now. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, um, a lot of it does come down to the competition. Um, NYCFC hasn't found itself yet after an offseason that saw the team basically completely remade. And Red Bulls have always been a team that relies on uh, certain ways to generate offense. And like we just talked about, Nashville kind of focuses game plan around preventing the Red Bulls from getting those opportunities. They need your offensive mistakes to generate their chances. Nashville may not be an incisive team in the attacking end just yet, but they are not a team that is going to beat itself. And that's what you essentially have to do to lose to Red Bull. They're very good at forcing you to beat yourself, but mm-hmm. it is something that uh, you know Nashville is, is is smarter and is better, you know, controlled with the ball at its feet than we've probably seen in the recent past. And it allowed them to to escape with the scoreless draw. Here are the comments from the gaffer following the scoreless draw. Hey, Gary, it seemed like you guys were, uh, I don't want to say forced necessarily, but you kind of played Red Bull at their own game a lot, trying to win the second balls and play a little bit longer. Did you feel that that, that was an effective strategy? Well, look, Tim, you know, make no mistake here. I'm not going to be able to dress this up. It's not pretty here. It's not. And, and as much as we all want to talk about, you know, playing like last week and, and, and creating chances and being free-flowing and, and looking bright and purposeful and, you know, all, all of the pretty things in the game, to a large degree, we were last week. You know, you, you've really got to look at this game in a completely different manner. It's been hugely successful for Red Bull in the way that um, you know, they've set themselves up and what they've achieved over the years, certainly the, the last five, six, seven years here. Um, and it's not easy. They, they thrive on teams that are too ponderous, too slow, try and overplay, want to be too elaborate and don't compete. Forget that they've got to find, a, 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 you know, a physical level with their opponent. They, they, they've won the battle then. And we needed to, to show them that we were capable of, of, of meeting that challenge. We did it. The guys worked tirelessly throughout the game to, to make sure that there was, you know, a, a tremendous amount of pressure on their play as well. And in the fleeting moments that were available for either team, both sides tried their best, I think, to, you know, to offer a, a, a more creative look in a more thoughtful manner, but it doesn't happen very often against this group. Multiple fouls, multiple stoppages. People don't get away because they get pulled over and the game stopped. It's all part of their plan. So to come here and get a point, I'm very, very pleased. It was interesting that that Gary was pretty adamant that, you know, he, you know, this this team 
is not going to go 34 0 and 0 and win every match going away. And, and he, you know, talked about, I think, how 33 0 and 1. That's acceptable. Table. That's a little <laughs> yeah. more reasonable, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> 2.95 points per match. Pretty solid, I think. Um, but he, he talked about how, you know, people expected us to come in and do what we did to New York City the week before. And that was never going to happen here. It's, it's so interesting that he's already trying to counter, you know, positive expectations about this team to try to make fans not down on the team, but reasonable in their expectations, just as he's often so very focused on countering mm-hmm. some of the negative narratives, narratives about this team. He he pays attention he, to what is said about this team and was very, he does a lot that. better job controlling the narrative than people really realize. I know during the off season, things kind of spiral and, and, and people complain about what they're going to complain about one way or the other. But in his pregame and postgame press conferences, Gary Smith makes sure that he gets people talking about what he wants them to talk about. Mm-hmm. They might talk about it negatively, and that isn't necessarily what he wants. But the topics that he gets people talking about are exactly as intended. It's what the old the old saying that the journalism professors would tell us early in school. Like, media doesn't tell us what to think. They tell us what to think about. He, he primes the conversation. I think very well for sure. Uh, other notes from the draw. Uh, this one was really interesting for me. And I wonder if if we've heard any clarity since, since it happened. Walker wore the armband, even though Dax started the match. I looked back over every match that Dax McCarty has started in gold. It's the first time ever that he started for Nashville and not worn the armband in all competitions. I mean, is Walker this team's captain now? Do we go that far? Or is that just a circumstance that was more of a case-by-case situation? Yeah, and this... Uh comes back to the second question that Harrison asked. Uh, thank you to Harrison for for giving the ML Rose shot as well. But are we starting to see the cracks for Dax? And I think you can look at, um, you know, as, as one big piece there related, but I think you can kind of break it out into multiple pieces. I think a big part of it is that Dax is still not 90 minute fit and his halftime substitution was planned. Gary Smith didn't want to change captains at halftime when he knew what was going to be the case. And so, you know, Walker Zimmerman starts with the armband and finishes with the armband. Um, going forward, you, you could fairly say that Zimmerman can be relied upon to more consistently get those 90-minute appearances. Um, Dax McCarty is is approximately my age, so uh, he's he's actually almost an, more than a year younger than me. But whatever. he's young and <laughs> but, spry, just like us. Yeah, either 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 way, um, you know, you can you can say that Zimmerman's style of leadership is is maybe a little bit different. It's a little bit more worn on his sleeve, whereas Dax knows he kind of knows precisely which buttons to press in a different way. <laughs> but at the same time, if if one of them is going to be the guy that that can go ninety minutes regularly, and some of that is just the the nature of the position, it's really hard to cover as much ground as Dax McCarty does the way he plays midfield. It's a little bit easier to play center back when you don't have to cover all that ground. But um, I think when both are on the pitch. Um, it's something where there's not a guarantee that Dax is going to be the captain, even if he he is planning to play all 90 minutes. And that's something that I would definitely keep an eye on. But I think um, spiritually, he remains the captain of of his teammates, if not the captain of the of the on-field 11 all the time. And I can guarantee you, without having had this conversation directly with Gary Smith, I can guarantee you, I'll speculate it, that, that Gary would have sat down with Dax and, and 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 Walker both and said, you know, how do you feel about this? Is this okay? You know, mm-hmm. he he Gary takes that input from his players very seriously and that leadership of his team very seriously. He would not have done this lightly, even if it is just a you're not quite fit yet. We want somebody to go the full 90 with the armband mm-hmm. situation. Um I, I'm with you though, I guess, right? You gain a captain essentially on the field by by naming Walker that when you know Dax is going to be the de facto captain in a lot of ways anyway, and the way he he uh, comports himself, uh, disappointing early yellow cards notwithstanding. I thought that was probably a 
yellow card worthy foul, but the third minute yeah. is off there. It, it was it he he grabbed the dude around the waist with every intention of the yellow card being worth the foul, and he was probably right, but <laughs> hey. Yeah, I guess a card's a card no matter when you hold it up. It just seemed awfully early to me instead of having a, mm-hmm. a starting conversation, but can't can't really hold it. If you if you reviewed it, you would not call it error clear and obvious. That's for sure. No, definitely. Um, Alex Wheeler in the start of midfield against his former club. We'll touch on his performance just a little bit in, in the tactical setup and how he was used. It was his first start since that early September 3-0 win over Austin that cemented Hani's MVP status. How do you think Alex played? Uh, where did he end up lining up in your view? The, the formation looked like it was a little murky, even the average position map, which you warned us against last week, a little murky because of some flexibility there. So what did you see tactically with what Nashville SC did? And do you think it's something they do again? Or is this just kind of a, here's how we play against the Red Bull situation? Yeah, we've seen versions of this before. I would say it was most like a four or five one with him being the slightly advanced I would definitely not call him the attacking midfielder, but I'm playing in the position of an attacking midfielder. Um, you know, I guess you would call him the number 10 in that situation, but you know, given what we know about how number 10s are expected to play, maybe a, more of a defensive number 10. He was the Brendan Aronson out there um, for, for all the Premier League fans. Um, what was interesting to me is that Nashville almost always defends in a 4-4-2 when they have a four-man back line, and they did that. But instead of Muil being the one to consistently step forward and join um, you know, uh, uh, Teal Bunbury or CJ Sapong in that front line. It was often one of the one of the wide midfielders. Um, Fafa Pico and Jacob Schaffelberg started the game, but um, and Wheel would shift into that into that wing type position where he can, I think, trap guys against the sideline a little bit better, be a d- better defensive presence there. Whereas Fafa, for example, is somebody who can run around and, and harass people. Schaffelberg is somebody who's who's going to uh, be a high motor guy and, and do the same sort of thing, maybe with not quite as much speed, which is saying something about Fafa speed because Schaffelberg is also very fast. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I think the, the the nature of the position was to look like an attacker, but not play like an attacker. And Nashville, you know, with those kind of rotating positions, it's the second time already this year that they've gone with a defined structure in defense we are playing a 4-4-2 but who that member of the front two is is going to rotate based on context based on what has happened so um they have a couple defined structures but who plays a given role on a given possession even um can be a little bit variable over the course of the game who needs a little bit of of a, a lighter workload on a given possession or who's in position to step up and play that role can change and that's something that is a little bit different than we've seen in the past. We've seen some instances of it, but it is a sign, I, I would say, of, of tactical growth and the growth of players within this structure to kind of recognize when it's their time to do a certain thing. One thing I really liked once again in this match, regardless of what you call the formation, 4-5-1, 4-3-3, was that uh, Fafa Pico ended up playing a, a pretty far inside. And, and once again, Shaq Moore occupied that space along the far right flank. It really does give Nashville, even in a match where they were going to be more defensively oriented, the opportunity to create those overloads and uh, and confuse defenses in Schaffelberg once again, just, you know, typically, typically far left, but was actually in more like a shuttler type of role, a little further inside as well um, as, as Nashville needed that strong, strong backbone. I almost call the, the wheel on the top of the formation, the turtle formation, the top of the midfield, that is like turtles mm-hmm. vertebrae is on the outside, you know, instead of the inside, like the, he's, he's outside the exterior, the but shell he's, is he's the backbone. Yeah. The shell is technically the vertebrae of, of a turtle. Yeah. I'm going to Google this after we're done recording. This is oh, don't hold me accountable. I'm learning so much totally, right now. I'm pretty sure that's the case. I'm pretty sure I've heard it said like, yeah, it's their backbone. It's just 
on top. Like Mawil is it could be spiritually their backbone, even if it's not. Now I really that that has to be true. If it's not, you better leave this in, even if it's not true, Wes. I mean, I know that on your previous show on Farmer Soccer, you talked about dinosaurs. I guess turtles are loosely related, right? Yeah. Doing a dissertation from you here. Oh, you're typing in a note to follow up on this, aren't you? Oh boy, here we go. No, I'm, I'm just looking it up now. <laughs> okay, interrupt me anytime as we start talking about Montreal, a team huh. that's not shown a lot of backbone so far. You, so the carapace is fused with the vertebrae. That's impressive. Okay. That's good knowledge, Wes. Good work. I appreciate that. Usually, you're the one who brings the useless knowledge to the table, so I'm glad to be able to contribute. Um, Everything I say is useful. You just don't know how to use it yet. That's transfer of responsibility like I've never heard it. That's fantastic. <laughs> well done. I'm going to use that with my kid as well. Sounds like you've maybe said that to producer Lily two or three times. <laughs> uh, speaking of backbones, I think I used this a second ago, but you may not have heard it. Montreal, not showing much of one right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the artist formerly known as the Impact Nashville's next opponent, one of four teams that haven't scored a goal this season. Their leading scores back in Ramel Kyoto, uh, but their second, third, and fourth Highest scores are gone. Fourth highest, by the way, Alistair Johnston, who scored for Celtic over the weekend. Congrats to uh, to AJ for that, the weatherman. But if you look at their XG of 2.2, and again, they've not scored yet, maybe they've been a bit unlucky in front of goal in those losses to Miami and to Austin. Your thoughts on what you've seen so far for Montreal? Yeah, I, I think you're looking at the Opta numbers. And I'm looking at the American soccer analysis numbers. So I'm going to have slightly different numbers here, but okay. I do want to take a closer look and break it out into the two games. Um, They, they had... 0.54 again per American soccer analysis. Um, expected goals against Austin on nine shots. There's enough dilution there. It's like under a 5% chance of, of scoring uh, a goal on average that when you have such a small sample size, you really kind of do need the outlier to make the observed values meet the expected values. So. Mm-hmm. You're extremely likely to undershoot your XG, um, or you're going to supremely overshoot it if, if just a single one of those goes in. Um, it was against Miami that I, I think really uh, was something that you look at and say, "Man, this is just this is this is a bad luck game." Um, had 1.77 expected goals on 14 shots. Drake Calendar erased a full expected goal. It was like 0.95 in terms of their um, shots on target, the expected goals for their shots on target. That's indicative of some bad fortune or, or seeing a good goalkeeper in a given game. Calendar um, has had a couple good games in a row now for mm-hmm. Miami. So that's something that uh, you know, every, every once in a while, you are you're going to get got. It's going to happen to Nashville this year. Um, you would hope it doesn't happen sometime soon, but um, yeah, it it happens. And that I would say is the game where they had the bad fortune. The Austin game seemed pretty just to me in the way that it turned out. Yeah, late winner from Maxi Rudy, 88th minute to to seal that deal one nil. Um, talking a bit about not just what they're doing, but how they're doing it in Montreal. Uh, nobody in the East is allowing more scoring chances at this point. Second highest XG against an MLS. And 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 to, to the how piece of that, you know, last year under Wilfred Nancy, who in my opinion is your coach of the year, or at least, you know, top two in Major League Soccer, uh, they, they had controlled methodical possession. It was basically like watching a four corners basketball offense, like spread, <laughs> spread the pitch, know your position, work it to those players take advantage of lapses in the defense or of counterattacks. Now under Hernan Losada, it's a high octane approach that seems almost like the opposite. It's like going from the four corners to the full court press to, to extend the analogy. And it seems like that's just going to take a lot of time to figure out. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, the four corners offenses, uh, our friend of the pod, Clay Trainum, second farmer reference on this episode. Uh, favorite movie, Hoosiers. Uh, his I'm favorite not surprised movie. by that. No, he he absolutely hates that movie. What? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he's a Hoosier. Uh, he's like the proudest Hoosier I yeah. know. Yeah, a uh, long story, but anyway. Okay. 
Uh, the numbers, do, the numbers really don't. Story. Okay, looking back at last year, the numbers don't bear it out because they underachieved their expected goals in the past few years, albeit you know by small margins. But it always felt like they were better in the table than than the players that they put on onto the field or the product yeah. that they put onto the field. Mm-hmm. Um, a coaching change is one way to lose that. If you feel like a coach is getting more than the sum of the parts available to him, and then that coach now goes to the Columbus crew uh, to to pull a hypothetical example out of nowhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's possible that you lose that. Um, Hernan Losada's previous MLS job, he was not a popular guy. He got yeah. fired for, I guess you would call it off-field purpose- reasons, but on and off-field combination. It'll be interesting to see if Montreal can make it work. But at this stage, it's not just transition costs. Some of it is losing a genuinely elite coach in Nancy. And, uh, you know, we'll see if Lasada can uh, have a bit of a rehabilitation tour for his major league soccer coaching career. One thing that does not need rehabilitation, of course, is Emil Rose. Uh, I look forward to seeing folks there um, after the match. Uh, this Saturday night, Nashville SC, of course, taking on Montreal at 7.30. Good chance to go grab a quick nightcap beer before they close up shop. I think they close around 11-ish, so plenty of time to go grab a, grab a drink or or two quick ones before you, you head back to the ranch. Um, and speaking of ranch, when I did go last time, got those loaded fries. One thing I like about MROs too, the the ranch they use, it's 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 um it's a really cold. It's it's cold. It's it's like it's 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 a great contrast consistency wise. MROs, check out our refrigeration. I mean, <laughs> modern technology at its finest, really. <laughs> but it's just part of the experience again. The little things, the little aesthetic touches, the the texture of the food, not just the taste, the uh, the length of the beer list, not just the atmosphere of the bar. They've thought of all these little things, and it makes mm-hmm. the experience on match day so sweet. Yeah, and it was it was really great to hear, um, you know, uh, from Harrison at the, at the top how enjoyable he found his experience of going to ML Rose, and um, you know, like we've said before, um, a lot of the things that you just listed are the reasons that we were so happy to have a, a place like ML Rose want to sponsor our podcast because. Again, it's not just uh, you know the, the people who are willing to sponsor the podcast. It's a product we believe in. It's a place we believe in. It's a place that we go regularly, um, either before or after Nashville SC games. It's a fourteen minute and twenty second walk. Don't make me uh, rewind <laughs> to the to the proof on my on my watch here. But it yeah, it's it's something that that we believe in. It's not just something that we that we say because because it's what we're supposed to do <laughs> do in in this portion of the podcast. And everything that they do is well thought out to to be. Uh, you know, the soccer bar of of people's dreams for, um, you know, before and after Nashville SC games, but they have um, other soccer games on during the day. They have um, major league soccer games on and it, sound, it sounds like they've got the full Apple season pass going now. So that's going to be pretty good too. And it's something that um, is, is going to be a great place. If, if you are a person who does not have access to that, um, ML Rose is going to be a place where you can go watch the, the non Nashville SC games as well. Highly, highly recommend it. A great experience. Thanks to ML Rose. When you think about club and country, think about ML Rose. Great burgers, great beers, and a tremendous soccer watching atmosphere. Moving on to the mailbag now. Wyatt says a lot of hate toward Gary about the result. And then Wyatt says in parentheses, but honestly, with who's injured, I thought the result was favorable. Uh, We did too, Wyatt. Um, Wyatt says, but shouldn't the blame go toward the front office for such a lack of depth with Open Cup and Leagues Cup coming up? You think Nash will be stacking its depth? We've had this depth discussion um, but again, I will say, and I will say with very strong, uh, a very strong opinion here, there should be credit and not hate anytime you earn a scoreless mm-hmm. draw at Red Bulls, anytime you earn a draw at Red Bulls, unless you're up three nothing and it's a three three draw. Uh, you know, I think Nashville has the best defense in MLS, and it survived without three crucial starters 
arguably it's uh, most important players up top. That's not even arguable in Hani Mukhtar in attacking midfield Rendaleal and at defensive mid. You could argue that no team, no matter how deep they are, would feel very deep without an Anabogadoy, a Hani Mukhtar, uh, and a Rendaleal in the 11 or their equivalents for those teams. Tim, and a Two of them are players who had injury challenges a year ago mm-hmm. in Randall and Anibal, Anibal and, and Dax in the aging midfield. You have to supplement that at some point. So I do think there's a fair question about whether the club should be deeper, especially in that central midfield spot, but maybe not across the board. Um, and so this long soliloquy will end with Stukes' question because he he hits this pretty well, I think, also. since the fan base as a whole has been clamoring for a DP striker and saying that's the weak link. But Stukes thinks it's more about having a more offensive-minded midfield, not a DP-level player necessarily, but with Godoy injured and Leal missing from the lineup, would it not make sense to bolster that position? Well, well, the big picture situation is that those guys aren't aren't like permanently injured. So, so you can't say, oh, because they're injured, you should bolster the position. The reality is um, you have depth there right now. You have Brian Anunga, you have Alex Mwil, other guys who can step in and do a job. You don't have unlimited resources. And I don't just mean roster spend money. I mean roster size. You have to find a way to build a successful roster under the constraints that you have. Um, at central midfield, especially, we've talked about this. Um, there's a bit of an uncanny valley situation where you need a guy who is good enough to be able to play, who is good enough to be a, a basically doesn't miss a beat for um, whether it's Anibal Godoy or Dax McCarty. But he also has to be a guy who's willing to be third or fourth banana at a position where only two guys are on the field at a given time. There just aren't a lot of guys who are good enough and willing to play that small of a role. As for attacking specific midfielders, the team has the reigning league MVP who was mostly on the bench or or half on the bench and would normally be content to slot a former DP and Randall Layal in behind him. The injury situation right now is a little tough, but the reality is that NSE... When healthy, has some depth. You can't make signings to compensate for being less than fully healthy without saying, okay, well, that means if those guys come back fully healthy, they can't play either because we're, we need to make roster space for some of these guys. You can't you can't sign guys on the expectation that um, they are only useful if Hani Mukhtar or Randall Leal, or most useful if Hani Mukhtar or Randall Leal is not available because those guys are... If, uh, there's a there's an old Peyton Manning a quote about Peyton Manning that uh, is appropriate here. If if listeners know it, I will not be saying it on the air because it says the f word twice. But um, it's basically if we don't have Hani and Randall, we're screwed, and and we don't practice that. It's the same thing. If we don't have those guys, <laughs> we, we we're screwed, and we aren't we aren't signing screwed. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I appreciate the Michigan grad putting pulling out a Peyton Manning reference. I will not return the favor with a Charles Woodson <laughs> reference, though. Still bitter about 1997. I, I mean, that's it, right? Like, you can't just have a, a an all-star on the bench. You can't just have a uh, an academy prospect that you say, activate, be MLS Cup level. It 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 does. It takes time to develop. I, I could make the argument, and I made it a little more strongly, I think, than you did this summer, this offseason, rather, that, that Nashville needs to figure out something at, you know, in, in a number eight position, a number six, but you would always counter with a very legit point that you just made again, that the the, qual- the level of quality you want to bring in there is not going to come in at either the price point or the playing time that, that you're going to have to offer that person. It just kind of is what it is at this point. I do think it's a priority to look at maybe if you find somebody who's undervalued by their current club at the summer transfer window, you can bring somebody in there, but you're not going to bring in an MLS all-star to replace a player like Leal who, should be performing at all-star level. Zach Boardman, how long can we expect Hani to be excluded from the starting 11? We've all seen the impact he makes. 
I won't read the rest of the question because it's it's basically just justifying why Hani should be on the field. And I think we all know uh, why he should be on the field. But he asks, is it is it getting back to match fitness or is Gary being uber cautious? All of that. I'm sure if they needed Hani to play in a playoff match to go at least 70 mm-hmm. minutes tomorrow, he would do it. But there's just no reason to push anybody this early in the year. I mean, you've seen the classic pattern, right? He gets in for 15. He gets in for 45. I would expect a full 90 as soon as Saturday and be really surprised if he's not in the starting lineup either Saturday or or the next week, even if he maybe just goes 60 minutes. Yeah, I, I would be pretty surprised if he's not in the starting lineup. And like you said, I, I think he probably would have been in the starting lineup under certain circumstances last weekend. Um, I think as something as simple as if it had been at home, he might have been in the starting lineup or if it had been on the road against anybody else. Red Bulls have proven to be uh, very willing to foul your stars to muck the game up a little bit. I think there are a few different circumstances in which Hani would have been in the starting lineup, you know, a few days ago, I think as he continues to get back to full health, it would be really surprising if he is not against CF Montreal. Completely agree there. Um, we talked about midfield a little bit. You referenced this question earlier from Harrison Hall. Um, after the wonderful ML Rose mention, he asked, are we starting to see the cracks for Dax? I, I mean, he's barely played this year, obviously, in, in very limited action, left at halftime, which was probably, again, as you said, a planned substitution. Uh, Dax has a lot he has to prove at this point when mm-hmm. Anibal hopefully is back healthy and when Sean Davis is taking the role that, that you know, Dax played in the in the first couple of years of this club's history. I don't think either of us is going to say the writing's on the wall for Dax yet, but maybe this is a season where he's gotten up uphill, uphill battle more than ever before to justify being out on the field. Yeah, and the one thing that you know about Dax McCarty is that he's the captain of this club not because of his on-field ability, although like, over the course of his career, his on-field ability has has certainly proven to be very impressive. But he is a team first guy first and foremost, and I think it. Um, it would not feel great for him to say me playing 90 minutes every week. Like I have done most of my career is not what's best for the team, but we're getting to a point where that might be the case. Um, I am, like I mentioned earlier, I'm older than Dax. I was never an MLS athlete, believe it or not everyone, but I can't even (laughs) imagine running around as much as these guys have to. And um, it's a situation that, that those miles log up on your legs sooner or later, um, you know, and um, I, I think he has a role to play for this team. Do I think he is going to be an every game starter? Absolutely not at this stage. It's unfortunate to see because he's, he is an embodiment of what this team is and wants to be. But at this stage, some of, of what makes him the special player that he is, is, is understanding that there's a role, there's an important role for me to play, even if it's not playing 90 minutes. And he, I think he has the the wherewithal to embrace that role if and when that time comes. And he really is a Swiss army knife in midfield for, for Gary to employ selectively. I mean, you've seen a lot of games where Nashville played like a, you know, four man back line, but then would have Dax right in front of the back lines. So you could almost turn it into a three center back look, uh, which I think Gary called the Sosa role. It was inspired a little bit by Santiago Sosa with Atlanta United and what he did. And Dax arguably did better. Uh, in those matches than Sosa, who was brought in to play that role uh, from Argentina. I I think Dax absolutely has a a role to play with this team. I agree. And I think the fact that you could even say a player like that, an MLS vet who has the chops on both sides of the pitch to defend, to pick out a pass, is your Swiss Army knife utility guy? What a luxury to be able to have, especially when that player is also a leader. They need to keep him on the pitch, though, with regularity to keep that leadership flowing, to keep that accountability coming on the field. I'm not saying he should start every game, but he needs to be playing in every match yeah. at some point for this team to sustain the level of the, the culture, the accountability level that it, that it has held up for itself. 
Uh, Logan Elliott, Nashville SC, third in the Eastern Conference after a win at home and a draw away. Is this the perfect microcosm for Gary Smith's approach to this league? And if so, is it not vindication for it? Yeah, Logan. I mean, I think that's it, right? And I think to, to expand that conversation a little bit, I think this is the season that NSC isn't trying to find or change its identity. It's trying to double down on its identity. Tough to break down, lethal on the counter, if they need to be expansive in possession, they've got the players that can do that, but their focus is going to be back forward. And that we always hate it when people say parking the bus. That's not at all the definition of what that is, but a strong presence in defense, a mid block press when necessary, turn it the other way. And I think the front office is showing that in its personnel selection as well. I mean, it abandoned the shiny options, the shiny options out there that that turned out to be poor fits. Panera was always a little more speculative than he was given credit for as the first U22 guy. Aki Loba, we all know that story. And instead, it's brought in a Jacob Schaffelberg, a guy who fits the system so well. It just wasn't really working in Toronto. Wouldn't work everywhere. Uh, Fafa Pico, excellent speed. Is it the sexiest signing of the offseason? No, but it's exactly what this team needs. And so far, Logan, I think the output has matched the input that that Mike Jacobs and the Gary Smith have put in from a personnel and a strategic standpoint. Yeah, you use shiny in a way that I wouldn't use it in referring to, to <laughs> I mean, Aki and Rodrigo Pinheiro. But... Theoretically shiny, yeah, bringing yeah, high-priced yeah. guys. Yeah, getting getting rid of 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 guys who are poor fits when you when you see that they aren't good enough players on the field obviously makes a lot of sense regardless of of what it costs your ownership. But um, yeah, that's a separate but uh, perhaps significant issue. But yeah, I think everything that Nashville SC wants to be, they try to coach towards, they try to recruit towards, and I think this edition of Nashville SC is is much more recruited towards what they want to be in terms of not having guys like Loba Pinheiro and having guys like Schaffelberg Pico. I think it, it is much more with the the ethos that this team wants to embody. All right, fans at home, uh, give us the answer to this question before Tim does, uh, because you're going to know it. Four points after two games, says Wesley Bryant. Same as last <sighs> year, more than 2021. Yeah, right. Is this year going to be more like 21 or 22? Little pause, folks at home. Three, two, one. <laughs> Small sample sizes. I mean, even, even a single season can be a bit of a small sample size. Um, I would say Nashville was better on performance than the number five seed in the West last year. Sure. And some bad luck and untimely results made what might have been as good as the second best team in the West um, behind only the Sporter Shield winner. That sounds pretty familiar to what they did the previous year where they were tied for second in the East behind uh, a record setting Supporter Shield winner and um, finished third on tiebreakers. Um, I think this is a better team based on the inputs, like you just mentioned, Wes. Based on the inputs, I think it's better than either of the last two years. Um, it's basically the same personnel as last year's team, but with more experience for the youngsters or the newish signings. Plus you have Picot, plus you have Schaffelberg and, and Shaq Moore all year. The reality is that better team doesn't guarantee better finish because each individual game is uh, a sample size referendum. You, you get to learn that not uh, every result is just, and sometimes a few unjust results stack up a little bit that happened in Nashville last year it happened to them less in 2021. I don't think there's as big of a gulf between those teams as it seems. And I think this year is, has the potential to be the best of the three, but uh, we'll have to wait and see exactly how, uh, how much luck is on their side. And Wesley, we know you well enough to know that you are asking, you were stating a fact and then asking a bigger question, not, not basing your question on the four points after two games. Just, we're not picking on you. Just FYI. Uh, I, I, I am. Well, Tim, Tim loves <laughs> No prisoners. Be, that's it. Always. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously we don't have enough evidence to know just yet, but but I think the foundation exists for this team to not only be upgraded, but to be significantly better because of some of the intangibles. You know, they, they're used to playing in their home ground now. There's not that pressure. There's not the crazy schedule. You earn two points per match uh, you know, or more at home, which I think this team is set up to do, and then have these types of games on the road where you defend well and nick, nick three points when you can. But the determining factor is health, right? It's not quality. It's not input. The output's going to be determined by whether guys can stay on the pitch. And Leal and Godoy, obviously, with, with issues early in the year that we hope don't last long. Uh, the bigger question to me right now is, look, if Walker gets called international duty, who plays your second center back spot? Nick DePuis brought in to do that, but he's down right now. Uh, so you're really starting to dig a little bit deep there and, and maybe have to get a little bit creative tactically to make that work. Uh, so for me, if the club struggles, it's not going to be quality. It's going to be depth. And even then, I don't think we're standing here and, and having the same complaints some of you have in terms of not not being set up to be deep enough. It's just a reality of an MLS roster that when your top the three of your top six players go down, you're going to struggle to replace them with with the kind of quality that you need. Uh, no matter how well the, you pull your roster, is the third center back right now Lawrence White? I guess. I guess it maybe would be. Josh Bauer. Yeah. It's a Nick DePew, come back healthy soon, but <laughs> yeah, I thought that the other day because I mean, there's there's a camp coming up, right? For for the US, mm-hmm. like is it one of those where end of March, yeah, maybe make maybe Jacobs is like, look, you guys know what you're getting out of Walker, we need him too badly right now. Uh, sorry, sorry, um, they just need to Greg, they just need Greg. to draw Curacao, I think, is all that they need to do to advance in the nation's league. So it's Man. not, it's 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 a a higher leverage time for Nashville SC to maybe pull that move than it would be if if the U.S. really needed him. Curacao, of course, a uh, a territory of Holland, and you could you could argue that the U.S. men's national team is in the Netherlands right now in terms of its coaching situation. <laughs> wow. All right, moving on. Mike Meredith he says, "I think we should do a hustle award of the week, but I feel fear that Schaffelberg would win thirty four of them." <laughs> I mean, Mike, he's he's a scrapper, but he's also a really good talent. I think you're right on. Uh, so. We'll, we'll award a hustle award for this past week then, Tim, but we'll exclude um, Schaffelberg this time just so we work with the premise of Mike Meredith's question. Who gets it from you? Yeah, I, I, for either of the first two games, I don't need to give it to him. So I, I don't okay. even need to exclude him. He's he's eligible and still not getting it. I would give it to Randall Leal uh, for the first game. Um, this past weekend, I would I would give it to Alex and Wheel for the shift that he put in against um, the club that produced him as a player. Um you always know that Alex Muel is going to hustle. It's just a matter of if he gets the opportunity. Um, he got the the starting nod and he had the opportunity. And guess what? He went out there and hustled, believe it or not. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, yeah, it, yeah. Um, Schaffelberg will probably have a lot of opportunities to win it. But so far through two games, he might be the winner because Leal obviously didn't play on um, this past weekend. Muel um, um, has not played, you know, all, as much as, as Schaffelberg has. But, um, or, uh, so, yeah, you understand what I'm trying I got to you. say. We're good. Yeah. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just abort. I'm just going to pull the ripcord right now. <laughs> Point made. Point made. Yeah. Uh, it's in the bank. I, I think Fafa Biko gets my honorable mention award. It's NYC as well for what he added. And and it was a bit of a revelation seeing that. And Red See, Bulls, for for me, it's so hard to give a guy credit for difficult though it may be like running onto through balls because that's like fun. That's not like the hustle that you really have to grind and find in your soul yeah. the motivation to do it. That's Which fair. is part of why Schaffelberg uh, is unfairly dinged by me. But, but, but both of those guys tracked back a bit too when they needed to mm-hmm. you know like a, the, they weren't freelancers up there right. um fair point totally totally fair point although sprinting as fast as i can for 90 minutes isn't my definition of fun but these guys i guess no, are built different though qualified you're built uh we've run up and down the flanks for 90 minutes in a knoxville <laughs> or nashville sc uh media match and uh 
yeah, it was it was more fun for you than it was for me. <laughs> I'll tell you that uh, for sure. Uh, late arriving question here from Christopher Price. He says, "I need that hashtag Hootaboo villain segment added to the show. You missed a chance to take credit for one of the best Yoda's moments of 2023. It's opening match by not answering the question before week one. Of course, we hit it last week. Maybe we make this just a, a recurring segment. The Nash villain we call it. The you had uh, you had a you had a." A horrible abbreviation that it I it was don't really bad. It was the club <laughs> and country ridicule coefficient, the CCRC, because uh, you you gave a stat to it that was really good. Uh, any Montreal bad guys with a history of hard fouls against the boys in gold? He says now, there's one there's one guy that mixed it up a little bit in the two two home match against Montreal in 2021, and that was, was uh, Sandro Piet. Piet. He was so mad. Oh, I hate that guy yep. anyway. I just he his was... look just grates on me. Boo him, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yep, he uh, Samuel Piet's the guy. He's going to be on the ball in defensive midfield. He plays that role very well, which is to say he's going to get under your skin. I was going to say Victor Wanyama as well, um, but. Number one, he's so like seasoned that I think booing him would only motivate him. It would not rattle him. Um, and number two, uh, he's he's so good in midfield. He often stays above the fray in moments like those, mm-hmm. whereas Piet's more of a scrapper and has to do some of the Paul Marie style antics or Maxime Cheneau style antics to to get through. Piet's a USL talent who just happens to be playing in MLS. He yes. just infuriates me. Uh, I, I I came up with a couple for last week, and this was uh, the question that was asked. Um, by Harrison last week was was who are the guys who make mistakes and so the guys that I picked on that based on American soccer analysis is goals added from the previous season were fullback Mathieu Chouanier and attacking midfielder Ahmed Hamdi so if those guys uh, seem to be a little bit rattled in Geodis Park you can start booing them every touch and and get them out of their element thank you for that reminder that's great so Chouanier and Hamdi uh, as a broadcaster Chouanier was a challenge um <laughs> Only because of the pronunciation there. Pardon my French. Uh, John Mueller, am I out of line for starting to doubt the front office's ability to accurately judge talent from outside of the league? Tim is licking his chops over here. He's rubbing <laughs> the hands together. Obviously, John says Hani and Randall are hits, but there have been a lot of misses as well. Are you out of line, John? First of all, no, you're not out of line for any feeling that you have about Nashville SC, as long as it's not wishing personal harm upon anybody. Out of line? No. Do we disagree with you, Samuel Tim? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, a couple of things. Uh, first, they're all but the like sure thing signings, even like Zlatan. Um, there's a lot of risk. Uh, Zlatan obviously worked out extremely well, but there was no guarantee that this dude was going to come in and give half a crap about the Los Angeles Galaxy. Uh, fortunately, he didn't need to. He just needed to care about the only thing he's ever cared about in his life, which is scoring sick goals. And he did plenty of it. Um, even if you look at some of the guys who felt like sure things, Ezekiel Barco, Gonzalo Higuain, those guys were spectacular failures. So I say all that to say there is inherent risk and and I think we view things through an NSC focused lens and and we forget that the league context is that everybody misses on a lot of their international signings. Um, It's not a Nashville SC specific problem. That does not mean that Nashville SC couldn't improve. Of course they can. Unless you nail every single signing, you can always improve. I want to look at the guys that they have signed from outside the league who don't have MLS experience or did not have MLS experience at the time. And kind of break them into four categories. Unmitigated successes. You named them both. Mukhtar Leal. Um, mitigated successes. And I know people are going to be very... This is going to be controversial, but Jean Dracadis, um, he produced. Uh, people don't like him for reasons that I think are unrelated to how good of a player he was. 
the mitigation there was that his NSC career was submarined by a global pandemic. Um, it still went pretty well while he was around, but then when he went on his um, ill-fated trip to Copa America and and caught a major respiratory illness, he was never the same player. Nashville SC said, hey, we can go out and find a different guy who can produce the same amount. They... The fact that the guy that they <laughs> they found was one of the two unmitigated failures. Miguel Nazarit um, never played a minute for Nashville SC. Ake Loba played a bit, but but was a spectacular failure here. And then I think there are two mitigated failures. Um, Brian Bekeles, um, he started the opener. He was going to be a Nashville SC starter all of the inaugural year. Um, he's also older than me. And, and when a global pandemic paused the season for four months, he effectively retired. He went back home um, and played a little bit in Honduras, but he is essentially a semi-pro player who who's playing because he loves the game not because he's still any good and then rodrigo pinheiro for also for pandemic related reasons um had some significant mental health issues when he arrived in the united states not speaking any english left his girlfriend home in uruguay didn't get to see her for like a year it was really difficult for him um the potential was always there but it was not a situation that was going to work out and that's part of part of Nashville SC's um, responsibility is to scout these guys and and see that they have the off field characteristics that will allow them to find success. So I think you could still call that one a scouting miss for sure. But that's that's it. That's everybody who has signed without any MLS experience from outside MLS, etc. It's only seven guys who signed from abroad um, without MLS experience, and three of them were some degree of successful. Two of two of whom are are unqualified successes. That's not a bad hit rate. And three out of seven isn't isn't horrible. And especially when two of the misses were in an inaugural year. Um, you know, all four of the misses happened in, in some degree during a global pandemic as well. It's a situation where, yes, unless you go seven for seven, there's room to improve. But I wouldn't say that Nashville SC is is hitting at a lower rate than anybody outside of probably the Seattle Sounders who can never seem to set a foot wrong when they when they make an international <laughs> signing. Yes, they are they are ridiculously good at that. Read you a novel there, John. And and I would agree with most of it, and I'd certainly agree with your premise. I might call Yonder Cadiz a nope. mitigated failure instead of mitigated nope. success. Un- nope. I, no, I, I'm not telling you my opinion. I'm not telling you your opinion. Yeah, no, I'm, your opinion is not acceptable to me. Okay, <laughs> now we're in like Twitter hot dog sandwich territory of discussion, aren't we? But I, you know, there was a reason he was chosen to play for Venezuela, though. People forget that. Yeah. Like he was good. He, but but the lack of production there, you know, down the stretch. I mean, to me, yes, mitigation. Absolutely. Uh, but I, I don't think he was quite what this team expected. Aki Loba, too. I mean, for me, I, I put him in the same category you do. But I think the, the one point of nuance there for me is that you've got to also calculate the size of the failure and the opportunity cost the failure brings you. And the yeah, Ake, I mean, the Ake, Ake is as fail as, fail as yeah. they get, for sure. Yeah. And, and has this. <laughs> he's, he's, uh, who's the who's the 15 million dollar guy who was the South American player of the year that Atlanta brought in? I couldn't think of Pity it. Pity Martinez. Pity Martinez. It's worse than that, probably, or equal to that. Yeah, I I would say Pity at least produced a little bit in Atlanta, far underachieved, and Saudi Arabia yeah. bailed out um, Atlanta by, by buying him. Uh, I mean, I the Loba deal has the potential to set this club back a year, and it won't because I think the club's managed around that and done mm-hmm. a good job. The the larger premise, though, I agree with you on, which is that you're you know a fifty percent hit rate is darn good if you can achieve that. You want your DPs to be more like a 70% hit rate if you can, because the the amount you're investing in them, the opportunity cost if they don't hit. But I, I think, you know, John, to, back to your question, are you out of line for doubting their ability? Out of line is a really strong thing to call anybody short of, again, wishing ill will towards somebody. But I, I don't agree. I think you're 
you're not aligned with the reality of the situation as I see it, uh, but but not out of line for for thinking or feeling what you want to feel. I think that the magnitude of the success of Leal and Mukhtar outweighs uh, perhaps even the magnitude of some of the failures elsewhere. I just uh, want to say, I just want to say, okay, of all of all Nashville SC players who have scored a single goal, including Robert Castellanos, who has scored every appearance he appeared in. John Ducati's 2020 uh, is the second highest goals per minute uh, in Nashville SC history. Abu Danladi right behind that. Last year's Hani Mukhtar obviously played uh, uh, probably 10 times as many minutes as all of those guys combined. But um, yeah, John Ducati's is 2020. And then his 2021 was is, was approximately on par with, with what CJ Sapong did in 2021 as well. I'm just saying it's better than people remember it being because it wasn't this game changing situation. Cause people didn't realize how good honey Mukhtar was. That's all oh, I'm saying. That's now I'm saying. licking my chops because I'm going to tell you yonder 2020 small sample size. Oh. <laughs> That's true. I don't think this will be our last Yonder Cadiz debate. That was that was fun. Um, John Cade, what do you make of St. Louis's start to the season on the receiving end of a lot of good fortune? Are they playing as well as the scoreline shows? Man, they've been so lucky. I mean, great, good for them for showing up and looking competent and looking at times good and having an identity, which I think they do. Um, but, I mean, they've been given two gifts, one of which was taken by Jared Stroud from his good friend Kip Keller by calling for the ball. And he looks at his former teammate in the eyes and passes it to him and Oh man, that friendship's probably over. But uh, Sam, I do think they're 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 not bad for an, for an expansion mm-hmm. team. They're not a three points per game team for much longer. Uh, but their playing style, I think, is showing some promise. Yeah, I, they're they're a fine team, and that's they should be. It's one of the best soccer cities in the country. It was long overdue for expansion. Uh, if they get a single own assist. The rest of this year, I'll be stunned, and they have one in each of their first two games. <laughs> um, so, yes, they're on the re- receiving end of a ton of good fortune. The Austin game in particular, uh, honestly, they deserved to lose. Um, they went out and took it, and that's fine. That's what a gritty team is going to do to get some of the points that maybe people don't think they deserve, but they get them. And that's how you kind of end up overachieving in the table. And St. Louis City is, has taken advantage of those opportunities and um, – you know, hopefully they'll take advantage of of simply being the better team on the field in the future because that's what it's going to take to win more consistently in this league. More hats off to them though for for taking what's available. It's been fun to watch. Um, again, probably not sustainable, but fun to watch so far. Two more questions uh, that'll take us to outside in Mac thirty four. Does this away result with injuries show the greater bench depth this team? has than in years past. So we have some people worried about depth and then Mac wondering, you know, maybe <laughs> is that depth? Is there too much better? depth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think there's a ton of, of difference in the depth over the past couple of years. Um, you know, f- from 2022 to this year, the only guy who played on Saturday night that wasn't on this team last year is Fafa Pico. Um, obviously Nashville SC is going to get a full year out of Shaq Moore and Jacob Schaffelberg. So that's um, a little bit more depth in, in, a, in a given way, but um, you know, neither of those guys is is playing a position where I would have said Nashville lacked depth previously. So it is a situation where this is a lot like last year's team with a little bit more experience. And and yes, I because of that experience, maybe you could say more depth, but I don't think it's it's measurably different. I mean, I I definitely think I like a world where you can bring Alex Wheel in for a spot start or Luke Hawkinson in off the mm-hmm. bench and have those guys not be dependent on to be your main dudes. I I think 
you know, I would lean toward this team being at least deeper than they're getting credit for. I'll, I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you that there, there, Mac, for sure. Uh, patron Saint of Coffee leading us into outside in with the question. Now that Apple TV allows us to watch every game, what team outside of Nashville SC do you like to follow? The goal scorer, Jordan Morris, now from just outside the edge of the 18. Lodero will wait it right back in. Morris, top of the area, parried away. Backside is Alex Rodon. He puts it in, and it's 2-0. Second straight week that Bear puts his name on the scoring sheet. They're going to love him here in Seattle. And for me, patron, it's Seattle. Credit to Apple TV for the Sounders' second tally against RSL as we transition into outside in and it's probably a cliche answer to say that the team has scored the most goals in MLS over the first two weeks uh, is my favorite to watch but man the way they go about their business looks like sounder soccer Tim they look like they're truly back at least 180 minutes into this <laughs> season uh, and they seem motivated I think partially it's to their advantage that they were able to get there get together early for Club World Cup and have a little extra time to develop that chemistry but you talk about roster consistency and they're a standard bearer of that and then adding in a bear uh, into the mix to replace Rui Diaz early in the year and that's the thing they've scored six goals without their starting striker um, I think they look like the best team in Major League Soccer right now um, which of course means they're going to lose this weekend uh, but uh, Tim who do you like to watch <laughs> yeah um, stay tuned in the future for for cocaine a bear jokes I haven't fully <laughs> oh, formulated I like it, it. Yet, but I yeah, like um, no, I was I, I was already watching a lot of the games on ESPN Plus. It's so much better to have it available on Apple TV because mm-hmm. you don't need to go around searching for everything. So not too much has changed in what I'm able to watch. Just it's easier. Um, in terms of who I like to watch, I, I don't want to pick a good team, um, and that is why I have picked FC Cincinnati. Now, <laughs> soon we're not going to be able to make these jokes about Cincy anymore, but um, they're going to be one of my must-watches this year, both because it's always fun to kind of keep an eye on a, on a rival-type substance, and I've got a keen eye on, on Brandon Vasquez. He's a player who I really like. I mean, it, it seems like um, Roman Celentano is a guy that we should keep an eye on, the goalkeeper mm-hmm. there, so... It's a situation where uh, it brings me no pleasure to report that FC Cincinnati is a pretty fun watch. Um, and unfortunately, it's no longer because they're just shipping goals constantly. Um, that'll probably come later in the season, one must assume. But um, check them out. Yeah, I still don't think they're going to be as good as they're projected to be. But they are they are a blast. They've always been fun to watch. But yes, now it's for sometimes quality reasons as well. Shocked <laughs> that that Orlando game ended up scoreless. I'd um was really waiting for a nice five goal game there but Orlando tightened things up pretty well defensively Cincinnati couldn't hit his chances when it had him they were unlucky uh or or maybe bad finishing uh for uh for a game for 90 minutes uh I'll tell you what speaking of good finishing let's head quickly to Fort Lauderdale nice ball inside Mota Taylor continues right for oh. that is a stunning strike from a man who's only been on the field about 15 seconds Apple TV brings the audio of Robert Taylor's wonder strike in a 2-0 win over Philadelphia. And Tim, that's impressive. It's always hard to go to Miami. Uh, that's why Philadelphia is not going to go unbeaten this year, even as I think we both have them winning the Eastern Conference or finishing way up there. Uh, but the Herons, one of two Eastern teams to win their first two, along with New England. And anybody who can beat the Union and show the class that Miami did is showing some promise. And it's going to be an improved inner Miami team, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, we we can and um, we often do <laughs> talk about small sample sizes. But realistically, only 
five teams were able to beat Philly last year. So even if it's a small sample size and you beat them on a fluky anything, it still counts. Um, this was not fluky is the thing. Um, I don't think if you gave Robert Taylor, you know, 20 tries, he's going to do the chest to whip around volley deal that he finished on, on that shot that you just played. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a potentially quality team and they kind of go back to what I've mentioned, um, you know, previously about how Gonzalo Higuain was a was a famous bust um I think that could be you know a little bit of the of the Patrick Ewing uh, thing I can't even think of what it's called my brain is mush I had a birthday party for five-year-olds folks uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm exhausted uh the Ewing theory uh we're taking a, a a recognized player off the field or off the court in the, in the original um can make you a better team and I think if you have a guy who's going to do what Robert Taylor did uh, on a regular basis, you have some really good pieces, man. Yeah, that was, that was really impressive. Um, by the way, if you want to watch the highlights of any matches, seven minute recaps on Apple TV, but one note, uh, there was a complaint that folks couldn't watch MLS 360 on demand. That is a possibility now that is available mm-hmm. now to watch it. And I will say we, we had some strong words and I think fair words about that product uh, last week, and there's always going to be room for improvement. But I thought it was a lot better in week two. Yeah, you know, MLS three C, and they even led off by making fun of the fact that they were yeah. standing with in, their backs to the audience. They they're listening. And our our complaints were not unique. I don't think maybe no. they were. maybe maybe where we are special less, but we <laughs> are. But not in our that complaints way. were not unique. But they are willing to listen and adapt in ways that previous MLS TV partners have not always been, and that's a positive as we move forward. Yeah. I think it absolutely is. Uh, Update from the Club and Country Soccer League. Speaking of unbeaten teams, it goes Miami, New England, and Tim Sullivan. Uh, Hey, let's go. 2-0. I I just broke that news, too. You did not know that you won, did you? You, Uh, I I was winning when I checked, but I did not know that I had finished the deal. You got a zero. Win. We saw the result in stoppage time. (sighs) Yeah. Will Haynes goes down, uh, and you, you get the win there. Um, uh, you, you truly are going to embody the the very honest name that Finn Breland gave his team. I'll never check up on you. That was <laughs> so fantastic. good. This is the time that you don't want to play Tim. Play him soon. Um, I'm in the win column after beating Patron Woo-hoo! Saint of Coffee. It was a close one, and it's really unfair, Jonathan. I, I I'm sorry, man, because there were a couple players that you had in the starting lineup. Chicharito being one of them that didn't end up starting. One note for everybody: you can make unlimited changes each week to your lineup. And you can make changes up to the kickoff of that game, up to the announced kickoff time of that game. So um, look at the starting lineups, make those adjustments. And I think those are the margins of who actually, you know, wins these leagues. A, whoever actually remembers they have a team, Tim, and B, people <laughs> who can make those late changes. So if you keep bringing it up on the podcast, I'm, I'm going to have a great year. I know I need to stop. There's a, there's a positive <laughs> correlation between uh, my progress versus Tim versus my number of, of negative relationship, whatever you get it. Um, <laughs> Final whistle, Tim, any content you've been paying attention to? Um, not a whole lot. Uh, I actually have not checked out MLS 360. I, I didn't realize that it was available for replay until you just broke that specific news to me as well. So this is a late news segment of the show. So um, I'm actually going to check that out. I'm looking forward to it because uh, the first week was rough, as we mentioned last week. And um, I'm excited to see it improve and grow. There are some personalities I may not ever be drawn to that are on the show to to speak fairly. But the what is it? A mirror? Itself- <laughs> mean man i i need to be like a turtle and have my backbone on the outside <laughs> metaphorically taking some shells today 
Um, <laughs> uh, the the product though was I think really enhanced. They they gave a lot of quad boxes, uh, for instance. They rarely showed themselves in the studio. It was almost always a game. There was plenty of banter, and and you're always going to have some of that, and that's positive. That's good. Maybe still a little more than I would like, but that's probably down to personal preference and not quality. And uh, I thought they did a good job staying on top of goals. Why do you need commercials? That's what I. You need commercials for revenue. It's a big media deal. I understand, but come on, man, just have all of halftime. Quad box it. Quad box it. Exactly. Give us something on the side. I think commercials really every 15 minutes or or less take away when you're already playing six or seven games at once. But uh, for concert recommendations, I don't know that I actually have much this week either. Uh, I started listening to the Barcelona Complex. Uh, an all-access look at uh, FC Barcelona uh, and really interesting getting into the history and culture around the club and, of course, how it links to the greater Catalan culture. Uh, really uh, strong recommendations for that, recommendation for that in the early going, I'll tell you as I progress. But essentially, Simon Cooper, the writer, was was embedded within the club the year all of the messy stuff went down. Uh, and I say messy in more ways than one in that case. And so it's going to be an interesting read once we get to that point, I'm sure, or in, the, in my case, listen, because it's an audio book. Um, any final thoughts before we head out and uh, get folks ready for Montreal? I would love for people to rate, review, and subscribe. I would also love for them to tell a friend. I would love for them to post our uh, our show on social media so people can find it. Um, it helps people find the show. If you enjoy what you are listening to, if you enjoy me roasting Wes, if you enjoy learning a little bit about the boys in gold each week, do one or all of those uh, sharing mechanisms as previously described. If you enjoy all those things in that order. Uh, and and really, it's been overwhelming to see. Um, honestly, the numbers continue to rise as the season hits. We're seeing download numbers that are humbling. <laughs> it's, it's been great to see that there's an appetite there. Uh, for this club and for discussing this club with nuance, with data. And uh, there's also an appetite for ML Rose, by the way. So rate, review, subscribe, and then look for us after and before matches at ML Rose. Uh, It is the place to go, whether you're on 8th Avenue or out my direction on uh, on Charlotte or uh, Capitol View. Murfreesboro's coming. Mount Juliet. Got him. Got him all. (laughs) There he goes. Thanks to the 440 Sports Network. Thanks to all of you for listening. And we'll talk to you next week.